What is up, everyone? We are back with another edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast coming to you post-Portimao. Double P. Post the Portuguese Grand Prix, uncharted territory, but now we know exactly what to expect if we're ever to go back there. Alexis Yun is here, as usual, with my gurus, Lawrence Edmondson and Nate Saunders on a day that history was made. Lewis Hamilton conquered Portimao in quite the dominant fashion, as he usually does tend to do, and managed to conquer the record of Michael Schumacher with most race wins. He's now surpassed the 91, 92 most successful in terms of race wins of all time. So history was made on this day, guys. I suppose let's just obviously start there because we keep talking about this record. And even though we, we almost resigned to the fact that Lewis was going to start beating Schumacher's records earlier on this season, but now that it's finally here, it's finally sunk in a bit. Truly an amazing and remarkable achievement. It's really hard to still find words to sum it up because it is exactly that. It is a remarkable, incredible achievement. And yeah, without sounding repetitive, we honestly didn't think this would happen when Schumacher, you know, retired. Certainly from that Ferrari time when he retired on 91 wins, it just seemed like that would be it. And um, no one would ever be able to match it. But yeah, Lewis doing it again, doing it in such great style as well. You know, winning a race by a massive margin over his teammate, despite losing the lead at the start, fighting back. It was all the little things that make Lewis such a brilliant driver were exhibited in that race be it managing the tyres, be it kind of racing wheel to wheel, knowing when to push, knowing when maybe he might lose out and Bottas got ahead, but he had it all uh, managed and all uh, in his hands. And then by the end of it, 25 seconds down the road, and that kind of tells you all you need to know about Lewis Hamilton this year is that he can do that um, at any racetrack anywhere, it seems. Yeah, I agree completely with what Lawrence said. Very complete performance and the kind of standard that we've expected from Lewis or grown to expect from Lewis because he's been so good. And really nice post-race. It was a really nice moment with um, him and his dad. And obviously anyone who's followed Formula One and knows the story of Lewis knows how important a role his dad played in all of that. And it reminded me a lot of, um, if you go back and watch Interlagos in 2008 when he first won that championship, they had a really nice moment there where they both kind of embraced in the garage afterwards and it was like all the relief all the stress just kind of poured out. So it was nice to see that again. And they've obviously been through a lot. Their relationship's been up and down. Um, and it's luckily now is, is, is much better. So that was actually quite a nice way for, you know, a, a nice kind of visual for us to have after the race. Did it have all the bells and whistles and fireworks that we were supposedly expecting? I know we keep talking about the fact that um, you never truly come to appreciate these records when they're actually being broken. It's after when you take a step back and be like, geez, 92. And I mean, no signs of slowing down or retiring anytime soon. So how you know was it everything you expected it to be and more i guess i think we kind of we, we we mentioned this a bit last time but the um it felt like there was more attention into him getting to 91 and then i think this felt you know it was very inevitable so him him matching schumacher almost felt as as um significant and obviously they had the moment with mick schumacher as well so that felt a bit more like there was a bit of ceremony to it but um yeah now i think you know every race is going to be historic so i suppose it loses some of the the, the gloss after this because basically he's just setting the new record you know and when he retires it will be it'll be done but it was still amazing and um there's a great visual that f1 put out which was kind of a like a i don't even know what you would call it but basically an image of every car mm. every win and it just shows you you know that when you actually see 92 images back to back it's it, it really rams home how 
yeah, how many wins that actually is uh, for him, and and ninety one as well for Schumacher was a huge amount. And the next, you know, the next guy down the road is almost half half of those <laughs> wins down. So it's insane that both of them are in that are in that uh, territory. I think they had an amazing stat too that they brought up that said that Lewis had. Um more first place finishes than he has second third and fourth combined which is just wow. absolutely outrageous when he think of it just true dominance i guess and i know the comparisons will start to come of course given the fact that he has broken this record and as schumacher said records he believes are just there to be broken but um it truly is just the, the way in which he's been able to dominate right it, yeah it, it really is um and across two different teams uh, and then the team that he's helped be a part of and helped build at Mercedes and the dominance they've had. And we've said this before, but I really don't know if we'll see that level of dominance again because Formula One and the powers that be within at the moment are trying to stop exactly that. And we've seen that at times before, but I think there's a much more concentrated and probably going to be successful effort in stopping one team dominate with a new set of regulations that come in 2022, but not really that so much the stuff that's going around it, the budget cap, uh, the way they're changing um, the amount of wind tunnel time and CFD time you have, depending on where you finish in the championship. So a bit like uh, the draft in American sports, what I understand of it, um, you know, the better you do, the worse your kind of resources are for the following year. So um, with all of that going on, it does make you wonder uh, whether anyone can do it. I know that's exactly what we said about Michael Schumacher's record when he said it and we were wrong. But um, it was interesting, Max Verstappen, who's kind of probably the person you would expect to beat it if anyone's going to beat it. Um, he was in the press conference uh, with Lewis afterwards and they were kind of joking and laughing about it. Max was saying how he's realising now he's got to go till he's about 40 years old if he's got any chance of doing that. And at 23, you know, that seemed like a bit of a lifetime to him, I think. Uh, to go and to go and do, but potentially that's what it you know that's what it's, uh, it might take. Uh, I think Max could be in a position. You know, if you look at where he is at twenty three, where Lewis is at twenty three, I think Max actually has two more wins. So you never know, but you need to find your way into a car that can do it. And at the moment, Lewis has got that, and he's not going to let go of it. And Mercedes certainly next year aren't going to let go of it. So um, there's plenty more to come. And yeah, I reckon he's he's going over a hundred, no doubt about it. And then it's just a question of how much further beyond that. How much further beyond that indeed the thought is definitely intimidating for his rivals and his rivals don't come closer than the other man that's in the same exact car as him Valtteri Bottas we do always have to talk about him I suppose because again I suppose we could say disappointing day can't we and I know we sound like an absolute broken record but he had he had some moments where even I thought, I mean, I had texted Nate when he had the lead a little bit, and I was like, do you think he will have the cojones, pardon my Spanish, to, you know, hang on to this, knowing that Lewis is breathing down your neck? But I actually, I think I gave him a bit more credit. He's not broken me quite like he's broken you two yet, but what did you just make of his day? Good start. Got all that right. First lap was brilliant. And uh, that was positive because as we saw throughout the race, it was all about getting the tyres into the right temperature window and keeping them there and basically not losing that tyre temperature. And that's why we saw the McLarens go so far up the order at the start. We can talk about it in a second. But focusing on Bottas, he got that bit right at the start. Um, and even though he lost the position signs, he got it back as well. So he was leading the race. But then it became a question of kind of keeping that temperature in the tyres, adapting your driving style to make sure you do it. And... Lewis could do that and Valtteri couldn't. So from what 
a Mercedes engineer was telling me the problem Bottas had was that he had a lot of heat in the front tyres but was struggling with the rears and so he was lacking that grip out of corners and you know um, struggling to get uh, the car balanced how he wanted it Lewis was able to do that so and the way Lewis did it was not by relying on his normal driving style or anything like that it was about adapting it and Lewis talked in the press conference afterwards about how he was changing the way he was driving the car depending on the wind direction depending on you know what he was feeling from the tyres if he felt the tyres were starting to go through what we call a graining phase which is where the rubber all kind of uh, kind of rubs up on the top and looks you know kind of all brittle on top he'd find a way around that and that's what he did and that's why he had such a performance advantage over Valtteri when it mattered and he could deal with those opening laps he could deal with losing the lead to Valtteri he didn't really put up a fight into turn eight when Valtteri went up the inside because I think he knew that the balance of the car he had the way he had it set up his long-term race plan and knowing what would be needed during that race plan he had it all in play and he had that trust in his own ability to get it done and he relied on that he tapped into his ability and uh, he beat Bottas fair and square and then by some I mean it was a crushing crushing defeat for Bottas there's no other way of looking at it and we've seen this recently where it looks like Bottas has got closer and he is getting closer in certain bits but it's that full package you know it's it's like yeah it's it, it's so difficult for Bottas uh, to get it right it's like you know he's two-dimensional and can kind of focus on one thing and get that right but Lewis has this third dimension where he can just come around and you know whatever the conditions throw him he's going to be the better driver and uh, that's not something I think Bottas will be able to address overnight if at all and um, that's got to be quite yeah crushing for him I think when he looks back at these last few races and how this championship as a whole has gone I know it is, it is quite crushing, isn't it? It's like me shooting my shot on dating apps all 2020. You just get bits and pieces there, progress here and there, but you need the whole package. Nate, is Valtteri ever going to get that whole package, I suppose? Did, is that what he keeps letting you think too? No, not really. Um, <laughs> I, I think the phrase stick a fork in him, he's done is very fair for Bottas. I think, you swiped um, left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would, yeah, I, yeah, I'd swipe left immediately. Um, I mean, you know, he was leading at lap 19 and he finished 22 seconds behind Lewis. Uh, so like Lawrence said, that's, it's pretty difficult to find anything positive to say on the, on the overall of that. And I think, um, you know, right now, I think if you put the majority of drivers in that car, I think that, you know, you'd, I said to Lawrence, you know, we were covering it socially distanced in the office. But I said to him, you know, Russell, I wonder how Russell would be doing. I think I said it in qualifying yesterday, you know, how Russell would have done. And it's really, it's, fu it's frustrating that we're not going to see it in any time soon. I know, and I, I mean, what will George Russell do, I suppose, in the future is a question that um, some people are asking already, given all the little expected or unexpected driver movements that we're having. We're going to definitely get into those as well. But I suppose now that we get into the real stuff, which is the midfield battles that we do get to see, um, what did you guys make of the, the, the race overall, I suppose, in terms of a, a entertainment spectacle? Because it seemed that... Obviously, in the end, when it was the expected podium that we got for first, second and third. Uh, but we did get some fireworks at the beginning. We even had Carlos Sainz leading. I was wondering if it was going to be a Sunday Sainz. Yeah, that was kind of weird, wasn't it? Seeing at the front. It's funny, Lando was uh, chatting to F1 TV and he was just kind of like, I don't know what was happening at the beginning. You know, he was as surprised <laughs> as anyone. Um, it showed you how much you wanted to be on the soft tire at the beginning. But um, yeah, it was kind of wild. And for a second, a very short second, I was thinking, like, is this going to be like Monza? But um, once the Mercedes guys got on top of everything, 
the race very much panned out uh, as it was. And it was kind of weird because Norris finished, I think he finished 15th or 16th, you know, and from, and he obviously had a collision with Stroll, but it showed you just how quickly his race turned around. Um, but yeah, that McLaren for the first couple laps, like that looked like McLaren back in Lewis, you know, the Lewis days where they would be up at the front. We, and we haven't seen that, you know, we saw it in Monza. Uh, and that's why I was kind of thinking like, is this going to be one of those um, crazy races? But actually I was looking back at it and I was kind of reading back the race on the way back home and um it kind of fizzled out after that i think the it was a shame how powerful the drs was a lot of the overtakes kind of looked really easy later in the race which it, it's quite a tough balancing act with the drs to make sure that it's it's not too easy to overtake but also that there are overtaking opportunities and obviously as a, as a new circuit i suppose that was harder to get right but yeah the race after that just kind of there was no you know the midfield gave some things i guess but yeah yeah I, from that beginning I, f I felt like it fizzled out a bit but i think lawrence enjoyed it a bit more than me yeah I, it, it wasn't <laughs> a classic race but um yeah i mean there were things to to take from it um it's interesting as well so with mclaren i felt it was very much they got the tires in the right window straight away maybe they had them slightly hotter in the tire blankets on the grid uh but then it didn't work out long in the long term you know that car actually looked pretty quick the whole weekend uh, and um, Sainz finished what he finished down in seventh. So behind um, Perez, you know, who got taken out early on. So in theory, you know, Sainz was ahead of him there. Uh, Gasly, who had a mega, mega race. And I guess we'll talk about him in a second as well. But um, yeah, so I, I felt like the short term gain and this is often the case in Formula One. And again, look at Lewis's uh, race. You know, he was willing to sacrifice a little bit early on. To, to know that he had the long longer term game when it came to the tyres, so yeah, um, it was. It, it, I thought it was fairly entertaining. It's it's nice as well when you're at a new circuit and such an interesting circuit as well. I think that keeps a bit of the interest there. But um, it's as Nate said, it was a shame that a lot of the overtakes seemed to happen on that straight with DRS because I think if the DRS zone had been a bit shorter, which is something that F1 would probably do if it went back, I feel, um, then you might have had. A, bit more racing elsewhere on the track where it looked like sometimes there, there were some good opportunities to pass in the middle sector with cars just you know getting better exits out of corners and stuff like that that was exciting to watch so um yeah maybe a few lessons to learn if we go back but i don't know if we're going back sadly Ah, oh, we will see indeed well i suppose let's move on to uh, another massive point of conversation and i say this because it once we start talking about this one man, it's going to cause a nice little domino effect where we start talking about Sergio Perez and Pierre Gasly and even Nico Hulkenberg um, as well, because we have to find out again. And I know we keep trying to find out what's going on, but again, what is going on with Alex Albon? I mean, unbelievably bad day again and again. And I keep saying that I know we sound like a, a broken record, but um, now do you think the question has to seriously be asked. Do you think that he probably not won't, but shouldn't have this seat at Red Bull come next season? Yeah, I think that question is being asked, um, has been asked, will continue to be asked, and we'll probably get an answer fairly soon. Do you think he answered it almost with his performance today? Well, I think when Formula 1 teams look at who they're taking for the next year, they don't base it on just the last result they base it on the whole season but the whole season doesn't really back him up and make him look a huge amount better and that's the issue so he could have had a result like this and it would have been fine if he'd had a whole load of stuff in the bank but he doesn't essentially and so yeah you know he started sixth 
awful uh, kind of start. We talked about a lot of drivers doing well on the soft tyres. He had the soft tyres and just went backwards. Um, and then he never got the race back together again. And that's kind of worrying because we've seen as a trait of Albon, even if he's had a bad start, he'll fight back. But in this one, he doesn't didn't. And I did wonder whether maybe a little bit of his soul has just been crushed by all of these rumours that are going around. Uh, you know, Red Bull have been actually quite supportive, but no one can escape the results that are there. And you've got um, a guy like Sergio Perez waiting to find a seat for 2021. And uh, Perez is actually ahead of him in the driver's standings, despite missing two races and despite being in a racing point compared to a Red Bull. And, you know, you start to look at that and you can make excuses about the car being difficult to drive and, you know, not suiting Albon's style and all this kind of stuff. But it gets to a point where you've got to look at the results because that's what matters. Red Bull are lucky in some extent this year that they don't have any real rivals for second place. But in another year, you know, that could be costing the team a lot of money. So I think... uh, unless he dramatically improves in Imola and then builds that up for the final four races, uh, Red Bull are going to look at their options. Yeah, and it was interesting because I was on the Christian Horner press call after the race and he said at the end, he said, you know, everyone in the team wants Albon to pull it together and to, you know, to kind of earn the seat. So there is this real sense of them wanting him to be there. Um but it's just a weird thing because obviously we're going to talk about him and we have talked, we've had him on the show obviously after he won in Monza, but Gasly is doing so well. And for some reason, I mean, I can't put my finger on it. They just seem, they're just, you know, um, and another journalist asked, asked Christian, you know, what's the black, what's the black mark against Gasly's name? You know, you guys have said you won't, if, if, if you replace Albon, you'll look outside the driver program. So it's basically saying you're not going to go to Gasly. So it's really weird kind of, there must be, they must have a huge thing against, there must be a reason, you know, something they saw when he was at Red Bull. Um, to go against him because you know we we keep on praising Gasly for good reason. So I think Albon clearly is doing something different than Gasly or Red Bull just don't want to make the same mistake again. And they the the, the thing I also can't get my head around is that they they seem to suggest that if Albon doesn't keep the seat, he's not going to go back to Alpha Tower. You know they've got Fiat or they've got Sonoda, and I don't understand that. I don't understand how he can be a the driver you want to stay in your team, but also isn't good enough to go back to your junior team. It's a very weird situation so it seems like the the easiest solution to me would be you take Perez or Hulkenberg put them in that car drop Albon next to Gasly and let him do what Gasly's done this year and have a year away where he's in the junior team and Horner said it today to us he said there's less pressure in AlphaTauri and he actually it's interesting to go back and actually read that transcript as I was doing on the way back because about three times Horner kind of digs at Gasly there's one where he said you know if Albon was back right now in AlphaTauri I think he'd be doing the same if not better than Gasly's doing and I was like well Gasly's won a race in that car and you know he's finishing in top six positions and Albon's got the second best car on the grid and he's he's barely able to you know he's barely able to get in the points so there's not really much evidence for that um so again there's clearly something that you know <laughs> that Albon's doing that that Gasly d- didn't do um and we don't know that you know maybe we'll, we never will know but um yeah the the key is next week and they said they'll make the decision in the next few weeks so need a really big result from Albon um, and Perez and Hulkenberg, I think, will be. They're probably if they are in talks with Haas or with Williams or whatever. I think they'll be waiting for to hear from Red Bull before they make any decision because that's a huge for both of those guys. You know, Hulkenberg no podium, Perez hasn't won. Go to that team, and it's the biggest opportunity of their careers. So, great opportunity for them if they can get it. And Albon, 
it feels like he's let it slip through his fingers already. I'd be very surprised if, if they did keep him. And Lawrence, what do you think about those comments from Christian Horner? They're quite, yeah. Mm. There's this question of, well, where does Gasly end up eventually? You yeah, know. exactly. Like, why, why keep him on the, on the programme? Because exactly. it, it's, so, it's, it's really strange. It doesn't make any sense. And, and Red Bull's answer to this is more or less that, well, Alpha Tauri, since it's changed name and whatever, has become a sister team rather than a junior team and they're fighting their own fight. But it's clear that they're never going to be allowed to beat Red Bull, which means they're never going to win championships. And if you've got a driver who's got talent like Gasly, you, know, you want him to be as far up as possible and, and fight him. And yeah, he finished fifth today in a car that you know, clearly... Um, went quite well around that circuit but you know his teammate Kafir was let me just double check but he was you know he was at the points I think so uh, we finished down 19 uh, sorry yeah, finished no. 19th sorry qualified 13th yeah. I was looking at the wrong <laughs> qualified <laughs> looking at the yeah, wrong screen yeah so I'm not entirely sure what, so something happens to Kafir at the end but anyway he, he wasn't really in contention and Gasly's there and you're like well what more does this guy have to do and if this isn't enough it's never going to be enough, is it? It's never going to be enough. And they need someone for next year. They need someone to replace Albon, essentially, on the basis of Albon's current results. So if it's not Gasly, who is it? And yeah, you know, I can understand the merits of bringing in Perez or Hulkenberg because you've got kind of proven drivers that have driven lots of different types of cars. If this Red Bull is as hard to drive as um, Christian Horner's making out, then maybe they're the kind of guys that can knock some of the edges off it with the development of it and get some better results out of it they can use their experience to modify the setup and work around some of the handling issues sure that's a possibility but I don't know I just feel like when you've got a guy like Gasly you know performing the level that he is give him another go and look if he doesn't get it right then yeah then you're looking at a situation where he's probably going to be out of F1 but I guarantee you if you ask Gasly right now would you take the Red Bull seat gamble it all on next year or you know, three more years at Alpha Tauri with no obvious, like, route to another victory or certainly a championship, he'd take the Red Bull seat and he'd gamble on it because that's what racing drivers are about. So, yeah, I just don't, I don't understand it and I don't know what the long, long game is for Gasly. There's been a couple of rumours that he might go to Renault, which um, I don't really see happening for next year. And I think it was more kind of speculation based on the idea that maybe... Red Bull would have to take Renault engines, which is increasingly not looking like the case. They want to go down the route of taking the Honda IP and doing their own engines. So maybe that one kind of stopped before it started. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what their long-term plan is uh, with Gasly. And yeah, and, and what happens even if you bring Perez or Hulkenberg in, you know, it's still a team built around Max. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult one to f- figure out what, what Red Bull are trying to do long-term with, with their drivers. And if you had a situation where Perez and Hulkenberg, or one, one of those two went there, and were this far off Max, you'd have to be like, well, this, clearly this is a team that's built around Max, and Max. you can't win otherwise. Because and Red Bull get really defensive about this suggestion that you know the team is built around Max, and we've had you know guys from their team saying, look, it's not true and stuff. And we say, well, look, it's very difficult to to, to believe that and to argue it. Because these two guys who clearly are very talented have come in and just been blown out of the water, mm. you know, and, and when Ricardo left, there was also, you know, there was always mm-hmm. this kind of insinuation, this suggestion like, hey, you know, I know he was, he wasn't really sure where the Honda program was going, but there was also a suggestion of this is Max's team. So yeah, that would be, that would be fast. That's kind of why I want to see that as well, to see like if, if they went there, would they be allowed to like 
fight max i think perez especially would be perez is so good you know yeah he's shown it today i mean today he could have been up there fighting for the podium if he hadn't collided with max at the beginning but it'd be great to see him up there you know he's deserved that that opportunity and if he went there and was this bad you'd be like that's not perez that's red bull you know and then you'd look at gasly and you'd look at albon and say well those guys were never gonna gonna succeed so yeah we'll see what happens um but um yeah a lot of a lot of question marks i don't think we're gonna get a lot of answers to them anytime soon so just to round it off, for all three of us, if you were in Helmut Marco's shoes, who would you pick as your four drivers for next year of Red Bull and Alpha Tauri? Alexis, you go first. Oh, no, you can't let me go first. I have to, <laughs> I, you know, I'm a woman. I take too long to choose my lunch options, much less who I want to, to be riding for Red Bull slash Nunes Racing Limited. Okay, <laughs> no, you go first, and then we'll come back to Alexis. Yeah, so I would do Verstappen and Perez. Uh, and I'd put Albon back at AlphaTauri with Gasly, but I would put I put Perez on a one or two year deal and say that's all you're getting, and we're promoting one of those two guys. And so you tell Gasly and Albon, you two erase it a bit like they did with Ricciardo and Verne in 2013. It's like you two are going for that seat, and basically winner takes it all. I think that's that's the best way to do it. I noticed Nate didn't choose Nico Hulkenberg anytime there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, if it's a choice between Perez and Hulkenberg, I'm taking Perez. But Hulkenberg deserves yeah. a seat next year. I just don't Hulkenberg think Hulkenberg deserves a seat. Uh, just and that's not over where Perez. I'm yeah, not that's over where Perez. I'm trying to. That's where I'm trying to fit him in right now. I feel like I might have to bin off Alex Albon. I'm so sorry <laughs> to squeeze in Nico Hulkenberg. But you know what? You're only as good as your last race, as they say. So I feel like oh, ooh. Oh, this is hard. Well, I, while you're waiting, I want to hear. I want to hear what Lance says. Yeah, we'll hear what Lawrence says because we okay. make some more um, credible decisions. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that's not true. Um, so I would go with Verstappen, obviously, and bring Gasly yeah. up to replace Albon. Um, Albon moves back down, and then you offer the other Alpha Tauri seat to Perez if he wants it, because Perez's only other option is really Williams. So you can get him in the fold. And if Gasly really struggles as much as Red Bull seem to think he will, you still have Perez in that group of Red Bull contracted drivers with the possibility to move up. But you don't give Perez everything to start with. And, you know, so he's, he, he's got to prove something as well. Um, whether that contractually would be, work because maybe Perez would say, well, my sponsors won't pay you and this, sort of this kind of stuff. I don't know. But I reckon that would be the best possible thing. So Gasly gets a promotion he definitely deserves this year because for me, Gasly's been arguably third best driver, fourth best driver. You know, it's basically you've got Lewis and Verstappen at the top and then you've got Ricardo in the mix, you've got Leclerc in the mix, you've got Gasly in the mix for third. Uh, so I think he deserves to be in a top team on that basis. Uh, and then, yeah, and then you can still bring Perez in the fold, but off from the AlphaTauri seat. And if he says no, you've got Sonoda there, you could even just stick with Kofia. Decisions, decisions. Now, do you know what? I'm going to go, uh, well, I was always going to go with um, exactly what Lawrence said. I am... 100%, 105% on the boat to get Pierre Gasly a second chance at Red Bull because I think he absolutely deserves it. And I would like to know exactly where this black mark has come from for real, though. It's, it's, it's really questionable. I mean, and we talk about driver dynamics and stuff so many times and you wonder if you choose a nice harmonious kind of relationship, like say with like a Lewis and a Valtteri, or I mean, you don't really expect Alex to kick up too much of a fuss with say Max, but you want your best guys there, you know, and at some point I think Pierre Gasly deserves that looking. So I would take him at Red Bull. And you know what? I'm, I'm sorry to my fellow Latino, Sergio Perez, but I'm going to, I need to chuck in Nico Hulkenberg somewhere. 
much to, even if it's just to tick off Nate, I have to get Nico Hulkenberg back because we're talking about people that deserve it. I mean, he's been absolutely performing brilliantly when he's found out like days before, not even days before, nights before. And I think I 100% want to see him back. So I'll check him in, Alpha Tari. I'm just, I'm just going to say, because spoiler alert to anyone listening, we've got Nico Hulkenberg on the next podcast and I'll probably be oh. doing the interview. That's not why I didn't pick him. I just think if it's Perez versus Nico, I would pick and Perez. It's uh, tough to choose. It's, it's a tough one. And I only put Perez in the Red Bull seat because I don't see Helmut Marco or anyone at Red Bull promoting Gasly for whatever reason. Um, he probably does deserve it. But also, I, I think if Gasly is going up, I'd rather see him go to any other team that's competitive yeah. because I don't think he'll succeed at Red Bull. Um, you know Albon's career like if Albon's still in F1 next year it'll be a relief um, but it'll be a surprise as well because you know at the moment it looks like he's heading out so um, so yeah that was that just for a bit a bit of extra justification for, for my <laughs> it is crazy though the fact that we are ta- I mean we see Alex Albon in this seat that is such a coveted seat and you think of the the talents that are Nico Hulkenberg and Sergio Perez that you know don't really have a home at the moment yeah i mean they've got actual physical fabulous homes i'm sure but um at least a home at the moment before 2021 quickly before we just move on and i guess talk about racing point as well but um can we just spare a thought for charlotte claire once again a really 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 i want to say good day given the nightmare of a year ferrari's having yeah, he's he's up there with Gasly as like one of the standouts of the year. He's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting quote on Saturday from Vettel, uh, which can be interpreted two ways. But Vettel said that Leclerc is on a is a different or was a different class uh, in qualifying. But that can be interpreted as I interpreted it as Leclerc performed on a different level. But Lawrence had an interesting theory about that uh, as well, which I might let him unravel in his answer. But um. I don't know if he's he's got a cheeky look on his face. He might I, be I, lining I, up. Yeah, I, okay. <laughs> it wasn't a theory. <laughs> it, it was more of a kind of, this was said to German TV and then translated yeah. across the internet. So I was trying to get at what he was saying. Now, you could say, like, my teammate looks like he's in a different class because he's performing Brilliant. that well. Or you could say that there's something dodgy going on and he's saying he looks like he's got a car that's in a different class. Um, and I, I honestly don't know. Uh, the more I've read into it and stuff, it seems like he was just complimenting the clerk, which is you know very nice of him. But it's so rare that racing drivers are so nice to their teammates that initially when I saw the quote and I'd seen it had been translated and so much meaning gets lost, not only when words are put on paper from when they're spoken, let alone put into a different language, they just made me wonder uh, exactly what he meant by that because um, it's very rare that yeah you hear drivers talk up their teammate and say that you're, my teammate's in another class because that makes you look pretty bad <laughs> but anyway um but yeah i'm nothing on the clerk i'm just looking at the driver standings here i finally got it up on my laptop and uh leclerc is fifth in the driver's standings uh on 75 points five points behind ricardo on 80 um and that says a lot doesn't it because we always talk about how bad this ferrari is and we saw how bad it was at some races uh so he's definitely doing something right there's certain circuits which clearly suit it a little bit better uh, mask some of the weaknesses but he's also driving around it there's no doubt about it you know he's living with a car that's uh that's not great and also a car that we know is down on power so uh there's a lot of the time which you won't necessarily notice but he'll be approaching corner exits in a certain way to make sure that he's got the pace to hold another car behind him and at certain circuits we've seen the other car has just been impossible to keep behind but 
a lot of the time he's been able to do that. So that's been massively impressive. But yeah, that puts the clerk ahead of, well, Albon, ahead of Norris, you know, ahead of Sainz, uh, ahead of a whole bunch of people in, in the driver's standings. Uh, and that really says a lot. So we knew last year it was absolutely confirmed that Leclerc is a star of the future on a level with kind of Lewis and Max, given the right machinery. But he's kind of keeping his name in there. And I think it's always important that drivers who go on to great things have a couple of seasons where they're in a car that isn't so good. Because when people say, oh, well, they're only winning it because they're in the best car, you can always reference back and say, well, no, wait a minute. Look at, say, Seb when he was in the Toro Rosso in 2008 and won a race. Look at Lewis when he was in the McLaren in 2009, which was a complete dog of a car. And I think he won two races. So I think it's always important that these drivers have a season, you know, even though it's not great for their kind of, you know, joy of the sport. But I think it's always important when we have a season where we say, look how much they outperformed that car. And at the moment, Leclerc versus his teammate, who let's not forget is a four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, uh, is arguably one of the drivers who's furthest ahead of his teammate on the grid. I think the only other kind of comparison where you're getting something similar is Russell and Latifi. Uh, and I think the gap in quality between those two drives is probably as big, which says quite a lot. Lawrence just stole my segue there, but that's exactly where I was going next. Speaking of drivers that seem to outperform their car, George Russell once again, I mean, he took to social media after and said best day yet, at least for them and for Williams. And once again, just constantly um, proving the talent that he is. And it almost, I suppose, took me aback that there's some questions swirling around about his seat at Williams come next season. As um, Toto Wolf pointed out after the race, this is not about the quality of Russell's performances. It's not an album situation. This is about money and long-term strategic direction for Williams. And uh, Russell doesn't bring any money to that seat. Yes, Williams have Mercedes engines, but from what I understand, uh, Williams also uh, pay Russell to be there. So, um, while he's a fantastic driver and this is, or next year will be the third year of his initial three-year contract that he signed with Williams. Um, Williams can get out of it if they want to. And uh, Perez is on the market if he doesn't get that Red Bull seat. He's on the market as a potential, um, yeah, as a potential driver to come in. Uh, and there's a number of things where you've got a benefit over Russell there. One is that he will bring money um, depending on where you read, it's anywhere between $8 million and $20 million. I don't know, it's probably somewhere in between. And then um, uh, he also brings potentially a long-term position for that team because Russell, I think, has very much got his eyes on a 2022 seat at Mercedes. And I think if he continues on the same form, even if he doesn't race next year, I think he's still got a very high chance of getting that ahead of Valtteri Bottas. So that would leave Williams without a driver in 2022. And it would be great for them to have the stability of someone like Perez going forward. They probably never thought that Perez would be on the market earlier this year uh, because of the nature of the way things were going. Or they certainly didn't think that they'd be able to lure him to Williams, which has been a team at the back of the grid for several years. So perhaps, you know, that's the thinking that's going into it. Uh, Williams have been a bit kind of shifty on it, not willing to answer questions on it but then saying, well, we don't want to create any speculation, so we're not going to talk about it at all, which inevitably creates speculation, because if you didn't want speculation, you'd just rule it out. But anyway, uh, so clearly there's something going on there, and it seems to be up for consideration, uh, which would be a real shame, because Russell yeah. is on fire right now. 
Nate, what do you take of it? Yeah, I can't add too much more. I think um, Russell deserves to be an F1. He deserves, I mean, he deserves to be in a better car. Um, but at the moment, Williams is his only choice. So if they got rid of him, it would be... I know it would be for Perez. But again, for Perez, that wouldn't be that overwhelming. Uh, that'd be quite an underwhelming decision because I feel like his next move needs to be somewhere he can actually win a race or get a podium. Or he might as well just, you know, he's taking the seat away from a young guy. So, yeah, um, it would be a real shame. But Russell interestingly said that he's had a sh- after the race he was like I've had assurances that um, I've got my seat and he thinks that the rumours actually have come from Perez's team kind of stoking the fire a little bit so uh, maybe maybe it's a bit more uh, sorry a bit less to that rumour than, than we all thought right, well that's pretty much exactly what caught our eyes today um, after a very long day final thoughts gents especially about um, Portimao I think uh, Lawrence and I said that we'd definitely be fans of it but it's all about the money, isn't it, to see if we do indeed go back there. But final thoughts? It'd be really good to go back. It looked like a great circuit. And, um, you know, if we can travel next year, I'm certainly not averse to five days in the Algarve in Portugal. Um, but, yeah, I don't think, you know, it just doesn't seem like the sort of circuit that F1 is going to keep when it has a full calendar. So, uh, unfortunately, it might be another one-off. But it looked great. It was, uh, you know, the the onboards were superb because a lot of the corners mm. were pretty much blind, you know, going over a hill which you don't get a lot of in F1. So, um, yeah, spectacular visually, um, but we'll see. And proof, I think, that a relatively modern circuit, even with runoff areas, you know, it did have runoff. That's why we're having all those track limits issue, uh, issues throughout the weekend. But even a track like that, a modern track with runoff, can still be exciting. You just need some massive hills and uh, some blind corners, and it can still be pretty good. Um I'm not sure it's actually a perfect circuit for Formula One cars, but uh, as a option, as a bit of variation, I think it's great. Um, and there's something quite retro about a Portuguese Grand Prix that I like. Mm-hmm. You know, it brings us back to the 80s, <laughs> before I was born, actually, I think. Um, but still, there's something quite retro about a Portuguese Grand Prix that I like. I like European rounds, and I think uh, too often under Bernie Eccleston, F1 looked to shift the focus away from Europe and... There was one point where he said Europe's a dead market and all this kind of stuff, and it's absolutely not the truth. It's it's you know it's F one's key market. It's where so much passion and uh, uh, so many fans reside. You know for Formula One, and uh, I think races like Portugal, uh, hopefully Imola's going to be great next weekend, uh, and we've seen with places like Mugello as well. If there's ways to get these tracks on, even if it's just for the occasional race to mix it up, you know maybe that's not possible from a business point of view, but if there's a way to make it happen, uh, I think it, it really adds something to a season. And uh, F1, to give them credit, have really saved this year, given where they started uh, and the coronavirus pandemic that's ongoing. Um, they've done really well to fit in so many great races. My head sort of strayed and I was thinking of us getting a fabulous like Airbnb in you know Portimao, just chilling. And then we could do this podcast with a lovely um, seaside backdrop or something of the sort. Although it looked quite windy out there today, so we'll see. But I'm always cold. So anyways, the whole point is hopefully we do indeed get to, to travel and take things on the road come next year. But anyways, that's a wrap for us today. Thanks to the guys as always. Make sure to 
Tune into our podcast coming up this week because like we said, we've got exciting stuff for you looking ahead to Imola. But Nate will be speaking to his favorite person in the world, Nico Hulkenberg. And as you may know, there is a lot of talk surrounding Nico Hulkenberg and exactly where he could end up hopefully next year because he does deserve to be back in um, Formula One. So we'll see if he could give us a, a hint as to what his plans could possibly be. But that's it for us today. Bye for now.